As you can probably tell, visiting galleries and museums is one of my absolute favourite activities. And our sponsor, the National Art Pass, makes that a whole lot easier, smoother and cheaper for us art lovers and gallery goers. Not only does the National Art Pass grant you free entry to over 240 museums, galleries and historic houses across the UK, such as Kensington Palace, Cardiff Castle, the Royal Pavilion and the Horniman Museum, it also gives 50% of major exhibitions, including the British Museum, Tate, the V&A and many more. Membership is just £73 for an entire year, and for those under 30, it's a mere 45 And for lucky Great Women Artist listeners, you can also receive an exclusive tote bag designed by Malika Favre when you buy a National Art Pass by entering the code GREAT at checkout. Just go to artfund.org slash great. Thanks to our sponsor, the National Art Pass, for making this podcast possible. Whether you're thinking about giving the gift of art or marking a milestone in your life like a new job, anniversary or buying your first house with a piece, art is a unique way to celebrate those special moments. Now in its 20th year, the Affordable Art Fair will be back in beautiful Battersea Park from the 12th to the 15th of March and on Hampstead Heath from the 30th of April to the 3rd of May. Each fair showcases over 100 galleries, bringing together over 1,000 original artworks from everything from limited edition prints by well-known names to a curated selection of ones to watch. And don't forget, National Art Pass holders can enjoy 50% off tickets to fairs by showing their pass on the door or by using the code ARTFUND online. To book tickets and shop over 10,000 hand-picked artworks, simply visit affordableartfair.com. Thanks to our sponsor, the Affordable Art Fair, for making this podcast possible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Women Artists podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Some of you might know me from The Great Women Artists, an Instagram account I set up in October 2015, which celebrates female artists on a daily basis, ranging from young graduates to old masters. Well, in a similar fashion to the Instagram, this podcast is all about celebrating female artists from a variety of backgrounds and histories. And I'm so excited to be interviewing artists on their career or artists, writers, curators, or general art lovers on the woman artist who means most of them. What I want this podcast to do is celebrate female artists in all different capacities so you, the listener, can gain a look into the greatest female artists working now or from art history. So I am so excited to say that my guest today is the brilliant, world-renowned Irish artist, Geneve Figgis. Working in oil and acrylic and at small to mid-scale, Geneve Figgis produces paintings rich in colour, texture and humour. Striking the balance between figuration, her marbled style and liquid-like paintings are reminiscent of the 18th century Rococo style. Born in Dublin and now based in County Wicklow, Figgis was always interested in art. However, it wasn't until she was in her 30s with two small children that she completed her art education. First, her BA from the Gorey School of Art in Wexford, and then her MFA at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin. Exhibiting across Dublin galleries, it wasn't until she used Twitter to display her artwork in 2014, which caught the attention of one artist in particular, Richard Prince, who introduced her to the New York art scene. More on that later. Often reimagining and restaging historical works from Boucher, Fragonard and Bateau, Figgis is particularly interested in scenes that feature sumptuous domestic interiors and stately country homes, idyllic natural settings with her protagonists engage in everyday, for them, activities including feasting, horseback riding or even playing piano. In her compositions, however, 
all is not well. Her figures appear either faceless or as foolishly grinning, ghoul-like creatures whose loosely rendered forms seem vulnerable and insubstantial as they merge with their lushly painted, semi-abstract surroundings. Janine Figgis, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hello, Katie. Nice to meet you. So I've been so excited about meeting you for so long as I've been avidly following your work since seeing your exhibition in London at Almine Rec Gallery back in 2015. I remember being completely transfixed by the paintings because at once they felt strangely familiar, almost hauntingly so, yet so fresh and new to the point that I had no idea paint could even have this marbled-like effect. Just for our listeners who might not be familiar with work, I'd love to start off by asking you to kind of describe the aesthetic of your paintings. I uh, prepare a lot of my paints before I start working. I use a lot of water um, with the acrylics. I used to use oil, but I didn't enjoy all the fumes that came from that. Mm. And because I like the wishy-washy effect and the throw of the dice, it, it wasn't really possible to use like spirits and things like that. So I sort of have them all prepared. And then I really was admiring the, the work of Marlene Dumas in, in the college days. And I wanted to paint in, in a sort of a, a, f- a very free fashion. I, I didn't have an idea that, you know, I was going to ever be a good painter or anything <laughs> like that. It was just, you know, because it was it seemed to be a sort of a man's world that I was entering yeah. into. And there was like a very strict idea of how, you know, that was to be. And it just it kind of was nervous. But at the same time, it was a challenge. I really like being told that I can't do something and then just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to find my own way. And um, the way in which I was painting was very chancy because there was a lot of paint being thrown about and buckets of paint and... <laughs> um, pre-made paint uh, different consistencies and I hadn't a clue what I was doing and I was <laughs> it was very experimental and because I was working in the opposite way to what traditional artists would have worked in you know the sort of the old masters the likes let's say Leonardo or somebody like that yeah. um, you know that, that they had everything absolutely perfect mm. I really didn't want that I really wanted to take the chance with the material and to see where it would lead me and it was very exciting and very freeing I got married at a very young age and I had a very strict upbringing and very religious sort of <laughs> upbringing <laughs> I'm laughing I shouldn't I don't know why I'm laughing because I'm absolutely the opposite. I, nothing could have made me more rebellious than a strict upbringing. Because you know, I think if you, <laughs> if you, ha- if you're telling people that they can't do something, they're definitely going to want to do it. Yeah. So I think in the work as well, not knowing if I could paint or not, or could be good at painting, it just seemed so immediate to me. I didn't have to rely on anybody else. Yeah. I could just do it myself, my own privacy, and fail as much as I liked because mm. I didn't have to apologize to anybody for it. So everything you know that I read, everything that I was interested in, just went into the work. Like you know, we done drama, speech and drama, growing up in school and outside school. So putting on plays and performances was very much a big part of my life growing up. That's so interesting. Um, so I think that goes into the work. I can see it going yeah. into the work and the films that I love, that all goes into the work. Mm. So history as well, yeah. which is which is a big thing because I've mentioned that down through the years about my love of history, but I think it, it was like the costumes that I loved and yeah. the interiors because 
we all know that history is sort of fabricated in some way and like bent in a direction of whoever is writing the history. And so I'm big into archaeology as well. I listen to a lot of, I watch a lot of archaeological programs and yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this isn't true. And, you know, like a lot of the history is made up. And so just, I like to sort of focus on the, the costumes and interiors and make yeah. up my own sort of plays within the, the work. Uh, and that's just in the later work. But the earlier work was really just so experimental that it was very scary yeah. because there was no control on the paint. Not that I want to control the paint because I really enjoy the freedom of it. Mm. It just kind of came across as spooky to people. And I think people either love it or hate it because a lot of people like everything to be just so and in its right place and perfect. Mm. And my work just isn't like that. Yeah. I kind of rebel against that in my totally. work. And I find it very, very exciting it leading me down a path of that experimentalness and I've I do I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm I might start with an idea or an image. I think I'm attracted to certain images of something and then I'll try and start using that as a inspiration and then that will lead me down a certain path. Yeah. What is it do you think about history painting that is so exciting that you really want to sort of reimagine? Yeah, I want to travel back. I want to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just experience yeah. just a different world and I've always been attracted to that kind of thing, you know. I suppose modern life is yeah. right in front of us. And also uh, I've often thought why wasn't I interested in maybe something futuristic or that's interesting i just went like to travel back in the history maybe because of you know the type of stories that were read to me as i was growing up like you know the bible stories and things like <laughs> yeah. that they were always very yeah. theatrical and just you know illustrations children's illustrations fairy tales things like that do you want your paintings to tell a story? Because that's what's interesting about your work they is that you're really be. building on yeah. narratives in a way they seem to be but as i say it it sort of evolves within the work. I don't set out and go, well, this is going to be about such and such. Because yeah. it really does, you know, it, it just starts. Mm. And that's the thing, you know, you you might start with something. You might start with a room. I, I really am a people watcher. I love people. I find them very interesting. And I used to work in retail, you know, I put myself through college. I also worked as a part-time chef <laughs> some of the years through college, which was very creative I just enjoyed watching people, learning from people. Mm. I just think, you know, our time here on planet Earth is very interesting and just watching how people survive. Yeah. You know, I think that's very interesting. What do you think it is about the history paintings in particular that make you almost want to reimagine them in a way? Well, they're theatrical. Mm. You know, they're costumes. I really loved history in school, but... Uh, remembering the dates and all of the names and everything <laughs> was like very difficult yeah. but I loved the storytelling aspect yeah. of it so I think I sort of soothed myself entering that world and using my work to do that mm. but I just make up my own story as I go along. <laughs> when did you first kind of start reimagining history paintings in your work because you said before your early work was much more experimental. I think they actually, even the early experimental works were historical sort of style because I, I liked, always liked the costumes. But also, you know, I'm a big fan of like Goya and Velasquez mm. and the theatricalness of them. Mm. And then in school, I used to like uh, Trelouis-Lautrec and they all had costumes in those yeah. paintings. I just wanted to sort of use my work to enter into those worlds. And I suppose uh, in a way it's 
it was the fashion that attracted me. Yeah. Uh, because in school, <laughs> in school, I used to make my own school uniforms. So wow. we were allowed to wear a blue shirt and a navy sweater or a skirt. And I used to make my own skirts and blouses in the home economics class. And then I used to make my own bags and we didn't have like much money. So my mother's aunts were very pally with the nuns and they used to throw <laughs> us loads of clothes and I used to alter them. I used to bleach them. I used to dye them. I used to cut oh them God, up. What and are the Catholic school thing? <laughs> yeah, you know, this, yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, it was just all about survival. Mm. So fashion was about survival. But I kind of wandered away from that for a while and I had my family young and then I got the chance then to going back to college when I was 30. Yeah. I was super, super excited. Yeah. Uh, just to be given that second chance. I didn't get the chance to go when I was, you know, 20 because I think I wouldn't have put the work in. Did you ever apply? I think I did, actually. Yeah. But I, I was unsuccessful and I, I had to live with that guilt of mm. being unsuccessful and not being good enough for about 10 years or so. It felt like a lifetime. And I used to have this reoccurring dream that I had to go back to school and I hated school. I didn't want to go back to school, but school and my dream, I think, was just the the little nod to say, get back to college and <laughs> do your best. And I got that chance. And it really, college meant for me was a full-time studio yeah. where I was completely involved in my work. And that was such a great opportunity of just seeing where it would take me. And and while you were in your 20s and you did have the two small children, were yeah. you actually making artwork yeah. that whole time as well? I mean, yeah, I was always making stuff. I was making stuff for the kids, like costumes and decorating their rooms. Yeah. I was baking, <laughs> that so type of thing. <laughs> Putting on plays. I actually put on plays in their school because I used to make like costumes for some of the kids. And wow. Yeah, we, we, I got involved because I was just always very creative. My dad had a workshop at the side of our house growing up in Dublin and he was always making stuff as well. And he was super excited about things that he would discover in his workshop and want to share it with us. And he was always building wardrobes, making clocks. Mm. So you were just surrounded by it. Yeah, it was very age. creative kind of upbringing that I did have, but not very like I didn't set foot into a museum. I don't think till I was 19. Wow. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because I wanted to ask you if you were kind of surrounded by these history paintings growing up, because yeah. in a way you're recreating these museums <laughs> in your exhibitions. I think we had a uh, John Constable's The Hayway hanging over the <laughs> fireplace, and I used to go, "Why do my parents love this? It's like so boring. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing happening in this." <laughs> so uh, yeah, I like things to be happening in paintings. Yeah, um, fun things. And do you remember kind of going to a museum when you were when you were nineteen? And yeah. what, what was your kind of initial thoughts about these works? God, intimidation. I really? felt very intimidated. Mm. I could never be like that, you know. And I think that's why I allow myself to sort of re reimagine the works and yeah. remake the works to prove to myself <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> but they just don't work the way you know. And not that I want them to anyway. Like I just want to try them out and to see how they work and. They're really beautiful. I want experience. Uh, I just want experience making them. I think it's interesting. You, you touched on it earlier about how when you were growing up, you know, Ireland was this man's world and also painting is kind of historically mm. this man's yes. world. And in a way, you're <laughs> recreating these works by men as you, but yeah. also not necessarily kind of putting a feminine touch, but there is a kind of difference yeah. in them. <laughs> <laughs> it's that humour, I suppose. I, uh, I'm a little bit weird. Uh, like, you know, I like a bit of humour. Well, I'm, you know, it's it's funny, but, you know, sometimes some 
creepy stuff floats on in there but I think that's due to the liquidity of yeah. the paint you mm. know it's just very liquidy and it's just constantly looks like it's flowing and I really like that actually because you know I think uh, some of the painters that I admired some of them had been making paintings that were not they weren't fast paintings but they were they were done in one sitting and you could just see that that how they were made you know when you look in front of a painting you can see yeah the process mm. and the process was really important i think to have that sort of freshness mm. you know it's kind of a chancy thing they were painters that i admired but i used the subject matter would be historical and costumey because of my interests in drama and things yeah. like that and acting and performing and but I'm, I'm intrigued about this humour aspect to your work because, yeah. I mean, well, like I said in the introduction, they are kind of so familiar, but yeah. kind of hauntingly familiar because you do get these kind of ghoul-like creatures who happen to be very recognisable creatures like Queen Elizabeth or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, the Queen. Um, yeah, uh, I just think that... Um you know, because I'm Irish, there would be humour there. I think the Irish do use a lot of humour <laughs> just to survive. Yeah. You know, humour is great. It's very important. Uh, some of them, as I say, I've explained the kind of the creepiness aspect. And I don't ever set out to make anything creepy. Mm. I just happen to just be attracted to that theatricalness, I suppose, because of my upbringing in Ireland. Mm. There was a lot of talk of the spirit world and... You know, growing up in my house, there was my sister used to see a man with a hat, and uh, we What's used to. That? She had a man that was always there and watching her, and she got a lot of attention for it in the house as well. I used to think, is he watching me as well? But then we also had Jesus watching, you know, yeah. with the religious education. So I was like, this is weird. We're just constantly being watched yeah. by Jesus and <laughs> <laughs> by a man with a hat. <laughs> But yeah, my mom and my sister would be very spiritual and things like that. I grew up in a unconventional house, yeah. let's just say, about the spirits. And there was a lot of talk about that. And there still would be, actually, if I called over today to my mom and my sister was there, there'd be a lot of talk about the spirit world. Wow, that's so interesting. Yes, yeah, so I had a, a weird upbringing. <laughs> Do you think that that kind of Catholic heritage or Irish cultural heritage has played in a lot of your work as well? Uh, I think so. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, you know, I went to school every day and, the, you know, it was like pretty much 80% of my day was religious based, wow. you know, singing Jesus songs and <laughs> learning about Jesus. And it, to me, they were just stories. You yeah. know, I was just like, yeah, this is stories. And then the church, you know, uh, the theatrical costumes that they wear and the whole performance in the mass. That's just theatre, you know. So I'd, I'd love to know more about your experience at art school, kind of how your, your trajectory as an artist as well. What was your experience going to art school much later on in your 30s? I really appreciated it. I mean, yeah. every day, every minute was so precious. What made you want to go back at as well? It was just something I just couldn't live with. I was into art at a very young age and it was always my dream to go. And so I really got that chance at 30. I was just full of enthusiasm. Like every minute was just art, art, art. <laughs> and yeah, the kids took part in everything as well and enjoyed it. You know, but time was precious. I was a working mom as well mm. and didn't have time for, you know, too much fun. Just mm. my fun was really studio based. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, on my own. And uh, I got my first chance of getting a studio in the city centre, which is a big commitment, actually, in 2012. And, you know, because you have a family and you're like, you're renting this space to work in. It's like such a big commitment because there's mm. no promises you're going to, you know, be a success or survive. Yeah. But I just had to do it. And really things just took off. And I had actually only really started working in my first studio when I started to share some of my works online. Yeah. What made you want to do that? There wasn't really anything that I was particularly interested going on uh, on in uh, Dublin. And uh, I was always interested in, you know, big American painters. And uh, one night then Richard Prince followed me and I was like, this couldn't be the real man. (laughs) This couldn't be him. And I was like, oh, whatever. And I was new to Twitter. I didn't even know how to work the thing. <laughs> I had this app on my phone and God bless the iPhone. And Gosh, it must have been early days for yeah, iPhones as well. <laughs> it was very early days and I couldn't believe I actually had an iPhone. It was my first and um, it was 2012. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, I must be okay if he thinks I'm okay. Yeah. You know, um, he was just so friendly and started by some of my work and just really sound you know were you getting a lot of recognition at that time in Ireland no I had a couple of small shows nothing major I was I suppose my work was a little bit different yeah uh there's a lot of traditional and as I say I was like interested in painters like Cecily Brown mm. I absolutely adore her and Marlene Dumas, uh, Jenny Savile. Yeah. Really loved all of those ladies and they were my inspiration. So my head was totally turned in that direction. And uh, using the internet, uh, there was kind of a, an idea of if, oh, if you post your work on internet, somebody could steal it and maybe use it and pretend, you know, I was like, no, no, that's rubbish. We need to move forward now and use the internet going forward. Yeah. It's, it was just a way of in connecting with other people. It's interesting as well, This you have this kind of big mm. interest in America and particularly New York as well. What do you think it is about your work that maybe attracts internationally? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was just given this chance by some great people in New York and... I kind of had my head stared in that direction with painters like uh, Richard, who was very non-traditional, John Curran and just Cecily Brown taking on the world. I was like, this is just so amazing. And they were just my heroes. And so when you started exhibiting internationally, what what was that like? I mean, really scary. It must have happened quite quickly as well. <laughs> it did. It was summer, uh, July. I was showing in the Hamptons in Harper's Books. That was my big step onto the art platform in yeah. New York. And... Yeah, I was very scared, but they were just so friendly and kind and supportive. Yeah. (laughs) How do you think it enabled you to be an artist or maybe changed your career in a way? Well, I I don't really think about shows or anything like that. My work is really just me and what I experience in the studio and just me enjoying myself. Yeah. And so if somebody's getting the joke or somebody's (laughs) somebody's really enjoying my humour or what I do in the studio, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I'm so lucky. Why do you like to kind of inject this humour into very kind of, not straight traditional painting, but when you look at, it's, it's quite funny because know. when you look at, I don't know, Fragonard or Boucher or something, yeah. you do have to think there is this totally kind of ridiculous aspect to these people in yeah. sort of 18th century French life yeah, in a way. totally ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. And I think it really does reflect how we live today as well. Like just... Yeah. You know, with our plastic waste and we're just like traveling everywhere and, you know, just buying stuff constantly. And it just we ha- we're, we're all like we 
all of our heads in the cloud, just yeah. like the Fragonard paintings <laughs> before the L. Guillotine came chopping. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we're constantly reminded by that on the internet as well about like your your time is near. Yeah, <laughs> doomsday is approaching. <laughs> Look at this clock. Mm. And I think humans have always been in that kind of environment uh, of. Uh, oh at the end is near mm. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> um, I try not to focus on it too much <laughs> so I've read that you've described your work as cover versions because they are these kind of like reimagining of these historical works why do you call them that I think that was the way I just wanted to sort of explain them um, I wanted to experience making them yeah that was one thing with the way I paint so it kind of takes the weight off if you have like an image beforehand and you don't really have to stick to it you know completely he can totally get lost with the medium and I just wanted to see what would happen because usually something does happen within the work that something might sneak in when you're lost because you're totally in a kind of a trance when you're making the work so you have your paints already made up and you're just you don't have anything to think of only that just being lost in this world and the Rococo pieces were definitely that I really kind of enjoyed seeing what would happen within those beautiful settings I mean, they are kind of cutesy and they sort of project that kind of idyllic Mm, atmosphere with those beautiful colours and everything. But, you know, life isn't like that. Yeah. Life is, uh, there's no guarantees. And I think that's what the the paint reflects as well. Mm. Also, I had done a cover version of Mr. and Mrs. Andrews by Gainsborough and... uh, he had done a lot of those sort of uh, formal sittings and Mr. and Mrs. Andrews in the London show in Alminrec. That painting was really about landowners, but the way I had painted it was very, very in my own style. And the ground looks like it's swallowing them up. It's it's kind of flowing and it's not unsecure. Yeah. So I think it's very different to the original. I think the people, the whole landowning <laughs> thing and just the way the whole world works, you know, with the fighting that goes on in the world and the wars and everything, it's all about land. And that that painting just meant for me that it would reflect both idyllicness, but also it would also send the message that nothing is forever. Yeah. You know? But I'm also intrigued by this idea of cover versions because it's as though it's like a, a sort of CD in a way or you're, yeah. you're sort of copying someone's song. Do you find that your painting is kind of linked to this idea of entertainment in a way? Well, I think uh, the whole Instagram thing has kind of come across as a little bit of entertainment. <laughs> I, I had no idea how that would go for me. And yeah. I'm quite surprised at the support I've got there. People have been very, very kind and I'd like to take the opportunity to thank them for all the support. <laughs> I love looking at what other people are doing as well on the mm. internet. I share and there's so many great artists out there. I suppose the studio life's kind of quiet and mm. um, there is an audience on Instagram. I don't know. It's I kind of keep my Instagram page like a sort of a diary, but I don't I don't really put up everything that mm. I make. I make a lot of work and I also destroy a lot of work. That's interesting. So you have to be very critical, but I'm not saying... I share stuff that I think is good. Sometimes I share stuff that I think is bad. But I'm intrigued about this idea of destroying work because in a way when you look at your work it's so fluid and 
it is it, it's not like the old masters that they're quite kind of separate yours is kind of physically fluid in the way that it's kind of swarming together and like you said earlier the land is almost eating the characters sometimes which can totally change the narrative or kind of outlook of the painting do you make your paintings in one sitting i try to i think it's nice and fresh when you keep it like you know you be in one mood one day and then the next day might be some some other mood so I think it's better just if you have an idea and to kind of go with it. Mm. I mean, painting can sometimes take maybe eight hours. Yeah. But like there's a lot of preparation behind that as well. Yeah. It depends on the size of the painting as well. Sometimes I'm lucky enough to come back the next day and rework, but I only work in the wet. I just like to see where the paint decides to go. Mm. You know, sometimes I'll, uh, you know, collect uh, images on my iPhone. Yeah. I also have like uh, magazines, books, photo stills from the internet, photo still from Netflix. And then we'll take that as a starting point. Mm. Like maybe a musician might take a note that they find attractive and they will use that as a starting point and then see where it leads them. So, yeah, we definitely in the work I would get like totally lost and make everything up as I go along. And how do you decide on kind of which painting to reimagine? Just whatever excites me. Um, Sometimes it would be a room that I want to travel into. Yeah. Something I want to experience or maybe a space that I'm not allowed into. Yeah. And there's so many places that were forbidden to us, you know, we're growing up. And there's a lot of places that I've imagined traveling to, but I can't go. I think because the first time I stepped inside like a museum, you know, when I was 19, it was it was a very intimidating experience for me because it wasn't part of my growing up. Mm. And so the characters were very intimidating and they're usually up on the wall looking down on you. They're very important people. <laughs> and they're very well to do and they're looking yeah. down at you and they're judging you and you, you feel inferior. I had a lot of that growing up. Do you ever make imagined scenes? Uh, absolutely yeah 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 so some of my favorite of your works are the pink landscape works and they're just so beautiful of those (laughs) i think i know the one you're talking about is that the one with the two little people and they're yes but there are two i think there are two pink landscapes oh yeah there's one on a boat yeah yeah boats have always been about like escape for me i know the uh, impressionists use a lot of boats in their work i used to like them and i've never really been in a boat so it seems very attractive to kind of want to paint a boat it's all about uh, travel again so the pink landscapes yeah there's a lot of stuff going on in that and people still kind of want to know what that is in the background to me it looks like kind of a volcano erupting (laughs) in the background i thought at the time it looked like a volcano going off in the so they're having an idyllic kind of boat ride yeah and then there's a big volcano going off in the back but it really the paint was very loose on that painting and it, it was sort of doing its own thing and i mm. and I, I allowed it to do that so how do you want people to kind of react to your paintings do you think about that much i'm really uh quite surprised at the reaction that i received and i'm i'm sure there's plenty of people that like the work and don't like the work as i say i tried to explain uh, the material qualities of the paint that maybe people might be unsure about because they like everything to be just so and just perfect Mm. but the world that we live in isn't like that life isn't like that so i kind of like to see what roads the paint brings me down and this idea of kind of disfiguration because i I think it's interesting when you see something so familiar and actually they're not in a way they're yes they're humans but they're also 
creatures. They haven't really got all the limbs that, in a way, humans have. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I guess, you know, when when you're looking at the works, they don't seem so human. I wondered if there is this idea of defiguration and kind of almost taking this very idyllic kind of upper class scene and turning it into something that is quite haunting. I think because the paint moves in a certain way, it has that spiritual look. But I really don't search for perfection in my work. I want the absolute opposite to that. Mm. And sometimes uh, I think, as I say, the paint just moving in the way that it does just looks kind of unnatural. And uh, that just seems normal to me. I really like that. I think that perfection isn't something that I search for or should be revered either. And, you know, we're living in a world where everyone has to be perfect, you know, like the perfect lips and the perfect bodies and, you know, the perfect house and everything. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, how boring is that? And and I think these people are just more, I want them to look more vibrant and uh, beautiful and for people just to accept that our bodies and our lives just to accept that you know the changes happen and that you know humans don't really like change and I think we're all afraid of it and but I think we should just sort of just allow it to happen and we have no choice and the figures sometimes they can look a little bit funny and a little bit creepy only because of of how the paint moves not that I set out to purposely make them creepy or anything like that and um, I don't like set out just to paint a certain type of person that Mm. I think there's a lot of people in the paintings that are from all different types of backgrounds and I want everyone to be represented in my work and that it's not just one type of human being that is represented because it's interesting in history paintings in a way if you go to the national gallery it is one type of person it's usually a white upper class man (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm against that um (laughs) i'm totally against that yeah um so yeah moving forward from that would you ever want to exhibit your work alongside old masters absolutely (laughs) (laughs) but in a, a few years ago you did actually collaborate with the metropolitan opera in New York to create a sort of series of paintings about Romeo and Juliet. Yes. As well. What was that experience like? Ooh, it was kind of terrifying <laughs> and um, it was a very, very big experience. Yeah. I wanted to do something different because mm. uh, there's been so many films and so many paintings made so that work is very experimental and also I made a little short animation as well for the opera yes, yeah. that was historical as well but it was, uh, I'd never made an animation before so what I'd done was I had made all the paintings. Then I had to work with a photographer to photograph them. And then I worked with an animator to put them all together. Yeah. And it was a, a two and a half minute short. And mm. it was played live from the Metropolitan Opera in New York. And we had to go to the cinema to see it. And it was played on the intermission. Mm. It was very, very exciting. How did it feel to see your work kind of on a stage? It's quite interesting in yeah, the sense that you always... Cinematic. It was a different experience because I had to make so many uh, paintings for it and it was my first time doing that. So the paintings were quite tiny and then they were projected cinema size. So mm. that was very surreal. As this is the Great Women Artists podcast, we always ask our guests if there was a female artist from history or working now who you've never met, uh, who would it be and what would you say to them? 
Well, I would have to say Cecily Brown because she was very inspirational to me and just sort of proved that, you know, a woman could do what she was doing. Yeah. And I think I was watching her and seeing how she worked and just coming like from a small town in Ireland, I was just my upbringing in Ireland as well of you know that women couldn't really do anything you know I mean my mom like women back in the day they had to give up work you know when they got married and the church told them they just had to have children and you know if you had children that you know you weren't going to ever achieve anything else yeah Um, but I never ever believed that did people kind of say that to you when you yeah got married young and had children young yeah, and even before, you know, you're just going to have that and that's it. Like, and I always knew that was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept going. Yeah. I kept going because you know in your heart and soul that you just love what you do. And no matter what anybody tells you, that you just know you have like a fire inside you. Yeah. And you just keep going. No matter even if people laugh at you. Or they mock you and they don't believe in you. You just keep going. Yeah. Thank you so much, Denise Piggers. Thank you, Katie. Thank you all so much for listening to the 18th episode of the Great Women Artist Podcast with the brilliant Geneve Figgis. It was such an incredible insight to hear all about her background as an artist, her influences, process and interests, and I do hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. This podcast was sound edited by the great Amber Miller, and if you have been enjoying these episodes so far, I would be so grateful if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it helps people find us. And of course, thank you for listening to the Great Woman Artist podcast with me, Katie Hessel. Now on its 20th year, the Affordable Art Fair will be back in beautiful Battersea Park from the 12th to the 15th of March and on Hampstead Teeth from the 30th of April to the 3rd of May. Each fair showcases over 100 galleries, bringing together over 1,000 original artworks with everything from limited edition prints by well-known names to curated selection of ones to watch. To book tickets and shop over 10,000 hand-picked artworks, simply visit affordableartfair.com. As you can probably tell, visiting museums is one of my favourite activities and thanks to the National Art Pass, you can now access free entry to over 240 museums, galleries and historic houses across the UK, plus 50% off major exhibitions including the British Museum and Tate. Membership is just £73 per year and for those under 30, it's £45. Just go to artfund.org forward slash great. Thanks to our sponsor, the National Art Pass, for making this podcast possible.